Uh, good evening and welcome. I'm Mark Hauser, the Student Programs Manager here at the Cato Institute. Uh, this is a very short event, so we're going to dive right in and give you some information about our organizations that we work for, and then we will move on to the panel. Uh, so the Cato Institute, for those of you who don't know, is a public policy organization dedicated to the principles of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Uh, we are a think tank, we're not a lobbying organization, and we're not affiliated with any parties or political campaigns. Fundamentally, we are an educational organization. Our scholars do research on all aspects of public policy, healthcare policy, foreign policy, education policy, you name it. And issue by issue, we try to explain why individual liberty and limited government makes sense. Our goal is to show people, everyone from the lay public to policymakers, the costs of an expansive and invasive government and the benefits of respecting the lives, dignity, and freedom of our fellow human beings. If that sounds interesting to you, uh, if you're interested in helping to promote or communicate those ideas, uh, you'll have lots of ways to get in touch with me by the conclusion of this event. Definitely do so, and I'm happy to answer uh, any questions you might have about getting involved with us here. Uh, <clears throat> I'll move on to CKI. Hi everyone, welcome to today's event and welcome to Washington DC. Um, we're really excited to have you here today. My name is Leah Whetstone and I work at the Charles Koch Institute, also known as CK, as Mark just mentioned, and I work on the external relations team. I'm also a Koch associate um, program member. I just wanted to discuss a couple different parts of our programs with you as well as talk to you a little bit more about CK if you're not familiar with it. The Charles Koch Institute is a 501c3 educational nonprofit, um, and we focus on five different issue areas as well as offer jo full-time job opportunities as well as internship opportunities through four different educational programs. We offer two semester-long programs as well as two year-long programs. Our semester-long programs are offered in the summer, fall, and spring, and are paid internship opportunities. They are also based in DC as well as throughout the United States, so if you're interested in coming to Washington, D.C., you're staying in one of your states, either in the spring or the summer. Applications are now open for those um, programs through the Koch Internship Program as well as the Koch Fellow Program. Our two year-long programs are the Koch Associate Program, which I'm involved in, as well as Liberty at Work. These two programs are 10 months long, lasting from July all the way until about the end of April. Um, they are also based in D.C. as well as throughout the United States. and. Um, the, you participate in a full-time job and they're fully paid, um, excuse me, educational programs. If you're interested in any of these opportunities, please come talk to me. Applications are now open for the spring and summer programs. Um, I will be available with business cards afterwards. Thank you. Hello and good evening. My name is Jackie Walterness, and I'm the director of DC programs for America's Future Foundation. America's Future Foundation provides professional development and networking opportunities for young professionals in DC. So we are dedicated to helping you take your first steps in your career um, and help you connect with the right people. I will be around afterwards, so if anyone has any questions on ways that I can help you expand your network, um, enroll in some programs, or be connected to anyone, please let me know. I'm happy to help. Um, also, I would just like to thank uh, Cato and CKI for um, collaborating with us with the Welcome to Washington. We've done this for many years now, 
Um, it's always been a great event, and we're always very thankful for Cato's um, hospitality and letting us use their venue. So with that, I'll hand it back over to Mark. Thank you, Jackie. Uh, we will move right into the panel now. Uh, to minimize shuffling around at the podium here, I'll just introduce each panelist briefly so that I can remain seated over here, and we'll just go right down uh, the table right here from my right to my left. So we have uh, Casey Darling from the uh, Charles Koch Institute. She works on the external relations team there. Emily Akins from uh, the, here at the Cato Institute. She's a research fellow who focuses on American politics, public opinion, political psychology, and social movements. And Shoshana Weissman from the Weekly Standard. She is a social media manager and a writer there. So Casey, we'll get started with you. Hi, you guys. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Um, I know I have met a number of you out in the audience, so good to see you again. And um, as well as the, the Cato interns, um, I am a Cato alum, so definitely spent some time here in this building. Uh, summer 2012 is when I interned here at Cato. Um, and then I also participated in the Coke internship program that my colleague Leah talked about as a Coke intern during the summer of 2013 um, on the external relations team. So I graduated from Hillsdale College uh, and studied political economics. Um, my goal was to come out to DC. I didn't really know what type of job I wanted. So I took the opportunity to, to be right where you guys are, to find some internships, to get that experience. And I think a lot of the times understanding the things that, that you don't really want to do is one of the best lessons from any internship. You can really learn. Um, do you like being in the office setting nine to five? Do you want a little bit more flexibility? Are you looking to be out on the road really talking to people every day? Or do you like to dive into the details at your desk and really tackle problems and projects? So take this fall as a, as a really good opportunity to find those projects and really get involved, certainly in, in your role, but then your entire organization as well. I'm sure you guys are from a number of different organizations. So Hopefully, um, our advice today will be helpful in making your fall count, but then also just moving forward and helping you to continue to grow in your career. So I wanted to talk today about, about three things. So um, first, I'm going to tackle um, some networking tips to help you get the most out of certainly this event, but then any other event that you might, uh, might go to for the rest of this term. And then I'm going to talk about how to maintain that network. It's really easy to, uh, to meet people and collect business cards, but what do you do with them once you have them? And then finally, some tips for uh, really having a great information interview. So I'll tell you a little bit more more about what that is when we get to, to my third point. And then as we all talk, um, Mark will open it up for Q&A at the end. So really looking forward to hearing from you guys and what are you interested in? How can we help give our experience to you so that you don't make the same mistakes that we did? So um, to start off with, with networking, I think it's really important to remember that building a network is building professional friendships. It's not that you're going to an event with networking in mind. You're going to an event in keeping in mind that you're trying to build those relationships. You're trying to forge friendships. You're trying to get to know people. So it is not that you're trying to fill your Rolodex with 50,000 business cards at the end of this fall because that's not gonna be valuable. What's gonna be valuable is, is you leaving a networking event with 
two to five key business cards, the information for two to five people that you actually want to stay in touch with, people that you will follow up with. So I would recommend don't go to networking events looking to collect business cards. Instead of be very intentional about the people that you talk to. So one of the easiest ways to identify those people are certainly the speakers at the event. So find events um, with topics that you're interested in, but also this is an opportunity to go to events of topics you might have no experience with, and it'll just be a really great learning experience for you. So I'd recommend starting with speakers and then try to find and identify the people who work at the organization that you're at the event with. So some of the times when you're at a networking event uh, like this one, you'll find afterwards when we're at the reception, um, people often get in groups of two to have conversations. And it's pretty difficult to tackle that group of two to try to make yourself the, the third person to join the conversation. So if you find yourself in a room where you don't know people, it's really easy if you are sincere, if you're not creepy, to go up to a group of two and stand there and just casually enter the conversation. I would also say that that's a really good thing to keep in mind if you're the person in a group of two, to keep your eyes open. Look around and see if somebody is, is kind of standing on the periphery looking to get involved in your conversation and open your arms, be welcoming to that person and say, why don't you come on in and introduce yourself right off the bat? So one thing, whenever I have new interns that join our team or new colleagues, um, when we go to networking events with the intention of finding people and talking to talented individuals to get them connected with what we do, um, one of the things that gets really exhausting is talking to people you don't know over and over and over. So what I say is go find four people that you don't know and come back to someone you do know. So look at a room identify maybe four different people or don't identify it as you're walking. It might be very natural, but go and talk to four people. Take that time to really step outside of your comfort zone. And the fifth person you get to talk to is someone you know. I think that that is a really great way to not get exhausted at networking events or leave completely done with this thing called networking because all you did is talk to people you don't know. So another really good tip for that is that you can tag team networking with someone that you might know. You'll say, okay, let's break up. You go find someone new. I'll go find someone new. When we're done with that conversation, I'll come find you. And all of a sudden, we'll be able to introduce each other to two or three other people that we otherwise wouldn't have been able to meet. So I find that those are two really good tactics to entering a group of two and becoming the third, but then also find people you don't know and come back to someone you do know. Um, I would also really want to stress, do not leave with 50 business cards, leave with two or three really key business cards. And then that moves us right into what next? How do you maintain that? A really good rule of thumb, after you get that business card, write on the back of it. Maybe you write the event that you met this person at, or maybe it's really helpful for you to identify, oh, that was the guy up front with the yellow tie on. I'm going to remember that he was up front with the yellow tie on, and then I'll be able to, to keep that in mind when I think about his name. So keep those business cards. Maybe write down, I like to write down the event that I met that person at. That, to me, is really helpful. And then the next business day when you're in the office, um, send them an email. So if it's someone that you want to keep in touch with, send an email 
email just to say, hey, it was great to meet you at Welcome to Washington. I'd love to stay in touch. I was really interested to talk with you about your experience at, um, at the Charles Koch Institute. Um, let me know if you ever have time to grab coffee. I would be interested in talking further and hearing more about what you have to say. So in that one email, you identified that one, people like to talk about themselves. They would love to take you to coffee to talk about themselves and share their experience. So keeping in mind that everybody in, in our positions and the people that you might be meeting with, those are people who have been interns. Those are people who have been in your spot, meaning that other people have come to them and they've gone to people to really seek out that experience and seek out the opportunities to have those information coffees. So that's a really good first touch. Then I would recommend um, maybe offering a LinkedIn connection. So um, a really good way is find that person on LinkedIn, just become a connection. So I will say, often LinkedIn is not a great way to build your network because if you don't know the person, it might be weird to offer up that LinkedIn connection. But if you've met at a networking event or any event for that matter, if you've met at an event, you've shaken each other's hands, you've talked a little bit, that would make sense to offer up that LinkedIn connection. So that means that your LinkedIn profile needs to be one that other people should see. So take some time to really focus on that profile, make sure it really represents who you are and the brand that you have as a young professional, as an intern. It has the information about where you're working now. It has your, um, your interests, your goals on there so that people understand why you're looking to get connected with them. So that's another great way to continue that touch. And then finally, um, I think for a lot of people, they're going back to school and they might say, I'm graduating in, in a year. I met this person, maybe it was last summer and you're graduating next May. What do I do all of those months to make sure that that person doesn't forget me? So an easy thing to do that I like to do is, is find a holiday, any holiday you want. It could be, although I would recommend maybe not Valentine's Day because that could be a little bit weird. Um, any holiday you want, maybe New Year's. Take New Year's, sit down at your computer, and for an hour, say, great, I'm going to email the folks that I really want to make sure they, they don't forget who I am. The email that you're sending them is, hey, don't forget about me. I'm not asking you for anything. I just don't want you to forget who I am. So this is a really good way to stay in touch with old supervisors. It's a great way to stay in touch with people you've met at networking events for a quick little, hey, I hope you had a great New Year's celebration. I just wanted to say hi and, and let you know that I'll be back in DC over the summer. Um, I am currently looking for an internship, so please let me know if anything comes across your desk. But just wanted to keep in touch. So that's a really easy way to otherwise say, hey, don't forget about me, without being creepy. Um, another good thing to do is find and identify those ways. Um, maybe you see an ad for Cato and it makes you think about, about Mark and say, hey Mark, I saw this Cato ad, uh, made me remember a great time we had uh, last summer in our internship, last fall in the internship, just wanted to say hi. Or you see um, one of your scholars or, or your supervisor wrote a great op-ed. You identify that op-ed and you say, hey, I saw the byline you wrote. What an awesome article. I also found this other resource that I thought you might be really interested in. So all of a sudden, you're keeping yourself front of mind, but I would caution, it's not stalking. So don't excessively talk to them about every op-ed they've, they've written, but that's a really nice way, maybe every quarter, every couple of months, very natural. The way that I, um, I talked about networking as creating those professional friendships 
That is the same thing you're doing with maintaining your, your network itself. You are maintaining friendships. So you wouldn't stalk your best friend. You wouldn't, um, well, I like all of my best friend's photos, but you probably don't want to like everything that your, your old supervisor, um, your supervisor posts on Facebook. But maybe if you guys are Facebook friends, every once in a while throwing a like or every once in a while commenting on what they're writing just as a way to keep yourself front of mind and really identify ways that they know that you still care, that you're still interested. Certainly when you find yourself job searching, it's a great idea to say, hey, would love to get your advice about some opportunities. Could we hop on a phone call if you're not in the same um, in the same zip code? If you are in the same zip code, maybe that's a great idea to, to grab coffee with them or grab lunch. So that brings me right into the third thing that I wanted to mention, those information interviews. So we call them information interviews because I want you to know that this is something that you have to prepare for. I hate it when I give somebody my time and they ask me to go to coffee and I come to coffee and I'm ready to answer their questions and they don't have any. Why are we getting coffee if you have no questions to ask me, if we otherwise don't have any reason to be getting coffee because we're not best friends, we don't really know each other, but maybe I do have some experience that I could share with you. So it's really, really important that when you ask someone to get an informational coffee or just grab lunch, grab dinner, grab breakfast, keeping in mind, making sure it's convenient for that person. Um, whenever you reach out to somebody, it's important to know the person who's reaching out out for that coffee, the person who's reaching out to take the time of somebody else should also recognize that that person's schedule takes precedent. So when they have time, when they come back and say, great, how about Wednesday at three? Do everything you can to make Wednesday at three work. If Wednesday at three really doesn't work, offer up a couple of times that might work for you or a couple of big blocks of time, like what about Thursday morning, Friday afternoon, uh, Monday afternoon, offer up those time blocks so that I can look at my calendar and I can identify 30 minutes here or 30 minutes there that would work. So when you're doing those information coffees, it's important to one, of course, be on time. I would say also be early. I found that it's really helpful um, the day before a coffee. Somebody sends me an email and says, hey, I just want to confirm that we're grabbing coffee tomorrow. I look forward to meeting you at the Starbucks. Enter address here to ensure that you guys are going to the same Starbucks. I have done that before where I showed up at the wrong Starbucks. I'm really glad I knew that person and they laughed it off with me once I got to them 15 minutes late. Um, but just when you... When you email them the day before to confirm, I would also recommend just saying, I'll have a, a, a red blazer on, I'll have a, a purple dress on or whatever it might be so that it's a little bit easier to identify each other if you think that it's gonna be a crowded place. If you meet at the person's office, then that will be way easier because they'll know your name and they'll be able to make that identification. But sometimes it is pretty challenging to walk into uh, to coffee and kind of scope it out like you're on a blind date and you're not really sure who you're who you're looking for. Um, so if you're doing, uh, if you're asking somebody for an information coffee that, that you don't otherwise know, um, if it's somebody that you just meet at an event, maybe 
Maybe it's the press secretary of an office that you're really interested in. It is very important, especially for those people that you maybe even tell them the questions that you're going to be asking them about. If they know that you're job seeking, that's helpful. Um, bring your resume in case they want to see it, but otherwise don't. I, I would recommend not offering that resume up because you don't want them to feel like you're just coming to them uh, for any old reason, um, but really Go into the coffee with objectives at the end. You want to hear um, what advice did they wish they have when they were in your seat? What do they think about their current job? What is the culture of their office? Um, what is the best way to really get into this? And where should I start now? Because obviously my next job is not press secretary. There are a lot of steps before that. So really be intentional about the questions you ask, but also be intentional with your time. Be intentional about the people that you reach out to for coffee. Um, and along those same lines, I would recommend um, if there are a couple of different people at the same organization that you want to get coffee with, make sure it's only a couple. Um, I've had interns in the past who I realized after her and I had coffee, she also had coffee with every single one of my colleagues. And that ultimately probably wasn't a good use of any of our time because we probably told her all of the same things about our culture. So in that note, be intentional about networking, be intentional about maintaining that network and who you maintain that network with, and recognizing that the people in this room are as much a part of your network as anybody who might be the people that you want to be in the future. So keeping in mind that the folks in this room, the folks in your internship, the people around you are the people that you're going to be rising up the ranks with as well. And so the friendships that you build right now also are in your network. And then finally, be intentional with those information coffees. Be intentional with the questions that you ask because ultimately that's going to show that you're intentional with your time and you're intentional with others' time. And then you're going to get people on your side to help you continue to move forward in your career. So that's all I have for you today. Um, we will, again, open it up for questions at the end, but I will turn it over to Emily. So I wholeheartedly agree with everything Casey said. That was just excellent advice. And mine's probably not going to be quite as good. Um, I'm going to shift and talk more about um, my advice about what to do in the internship. Um, you talked a lot about networking, and all of that is extremely important and very valuable. Um, I'm going to share more of my experiences like within the internship itself. Um, and first, I'd like to just caveat it by saying I think some of the advice that we give might be somewhat dependent on what you want to what you want to do. Do you want to work on Capitol Hill? Do you want to work at a think tank, an advocacy organization? Um, would you like to go into journalism? So some of this might be contingent. And I thought I would just um, just share a little bit about where I come from, and so you can kind of caveat what I say in that way. Um, so um, I have an academic background. I thought I was going to go um, into academia. Um, I did a PhD in political science at UCLA, and I kind of thought that was the direction I was going to head. Um, but in the middle of it, realized that it wasn't quite the right fit for just kind of my personality in terms of social interaction. And I liked the, the work that we can do here in Washington, D.C. It's more public-facing and engaging. But that's kind of the world that I come from. Um, and throughout the course of undergrad and graduate school, I had several opportunities to do internships in D.C. Um, so I pulled out three things that I think are perhaps things that I found most valuable that I'm going to share with you tonight. So the first one is to reach out and meet new people, which is what Casey was also talking about. 
I, I have to say, I hate networking for the sake of networking. It's so unpleasant. Um, for me, the way I approach it is I like to genuinely go out and meet people that I really want to meet. And I, and I mean that in a way that I, I want to show genuine interest in what they're doing. I find out a little bit about maybe their background. If it's a speaker at the event, I know something about their research area or what they do. Um, and I go out and talk to them about that thing that they're passionate about, that I also care about. And I just notice it goes a lot better for me and the other person when we're both interested in having the conversation. Um, and so, and, and another key to that, I think, is to be authentic, um, to not just be getting cards for the sake of getting cards, but really showing genuine interest and looking for ways to help other people. People are a lot more willing and wanting to help you if they feel like you have their best interests in mind, in mind too. Um, and then when the opportunity arises, finding opportunities for collaboration can also be really great. And I'm going to give several, um, share some stories that kind of get to that to that point. Um, so one example of this, um, when I was an intern here at the Cato Institute, um, before I had arrived, I had read a paper by David Bose, who was the executive vice president here at Cato. And he had written a paper about how many libertarians are out there in the electorate. And in graduate school, I had recently learned um, a new data analytics tool to try to estimate clusters of voters in the electorate. So I went up, introduced myself to him. Um, I mispronounced his name, which is a little embarrassing, um, but he over looked that, fortunately, and um, told him about the paper that he'd written that I really liked and said that I um, had this technique that I'd be really interested in showing him and getting his thoughts on, his feedback on. Um, so he said, uh, of course, let's meet. And so I showed him this data analytics method. Um, he, found it was, he thought it was very interesting. And from that, he said, I want to introduce you to a colleague of mine, one of his co-authors on the paper. Um, and that colleague is now a senior vice president here at Cato. At the time, he was elsewhere. But he and I ended up collaborating and writing a paper on uh, the Tea Party movement. And we ended up writing that for here at Cato. And this came out of that internship, all from me going up and meeting someone that I didn't know and showing interest in something that they had written. And it was genuine interest. I actually cared about what he had written. Um, I wasn't just making it up for an excuse to meet you know, the um, executive vice president. OK. Um, the other thing, when I was here in my internship, I had heard um, that there was another political scientist working here at Cato. And so I was doing my PhD in political science. I wasn't working for this scholar, but I heard that he was out there. So I heard that he was speaking at an event. I attended the event, and then afterwards went up to talk to him about what he, what he had to say. And we ended up striking up a, like a professional relationship. We ended up writing a paper together. And then when I was about to finish my dissertation and finish graduate school, he reached out to me and offered me a job here at Cato. He's now my boss. So all of that came from me going out and meeting people and showing genuine interest in what they were doing. Um, OK, so that was reach out and meet new people. The second thing. Um, while in your internship, I think um, communicating effectively with, a, with your supervisor is really, really important. And it can sometimes be hard to do. I have my intern here right here, Mitch. Very good. I, we've been getting along really great. Um, I think some helpful tips in how to effectively communicate with your supervisor um, is to, when you are going over a project, to take notes, ask questions as needed, and then try to communicate about your progress as you're going through. 
And communicating that progress is really helpful because in, in, through that, you're able to get feedback along the way. And feedback can be hard. It stresses me out. I'm always a little bit afraid to ask for it. But it's better to get feedback early on and course correct as you need to. Um, and bosses who feel that they have a good working relationship with you are more likely to want to bring you on or recommend you to a friend. I get emails all the time from friends that are looking to hire someone. And if someone has kind of recently, well, one, they're on my mind because they've reached out to me, like Casey said, I'm more likely to say, oh, wait, I should, tell, I should send this job um, announcement to this person. Um, one intern that I had halfway through the internship actually said, hey, we're, we're halfway through. Um, I wanted to see if we could do maybe a status update or just um, a, an opportunity to get feedback on the work that he was doing. Um, and I thought it was great. And I ended up saying, well, let's turn it around and you tell me how you feel like the internship is going. And I thought that was really, really helpful. We did that in the middle and at the end of the internship. Um, that's something that um, I think often isn't talked about, but is really helpful for um, cultivating that good working relationship. Um, okay, and then the last thing um, I would say is to take initiative and do more than you had expected to do. Um, figure out what your, what your supervisor is interested in and try to find ways to suggest projects that would be helpful to him or her. Oftentimes when you're an intern, um, the projects that you're doing might not be the most interesting projects, but if you can suggest a project that they would be interested in, it gives you an opportunity to do something that you care about and also help your supervisor, which is great. Um, one thing that I would suggest you avoid is to say, what should I do? Don't ever say that. That's not, that's not a good strategy. Um, but instead, try to suggest ideas. And they might be ideas that your supervisor doesn't like, but the fact that you even suggested it could be, I think, is very good. Um, so uh, one example here, when I was an intern at AEI, um, I was interested in, um, let's see, how did it go? I was interested in this debate people were having about the, the number of days it took for, um, the, for the Senate to confirm judicial appointments. And the argument that was being made is that during the Bush administration, it was taking longer than ever um, to confirm judicial appointments. I had recently met someone that worked at the judiciary, and I called him and said, hey, do you have data on this, on how many days it's actually taking to appoint these judges? He pointed me in the right direction, and I was able to track down the data myself and found that the number of days that it, was that it took to confirm a judge had been increasing steadily every year for the past several decades, meaning that there was nothing unique about the Bush administration. There was nothing unique about the Clinton administration. There was something else that was driving this. My supervisor found it really interesting, and she said, let's put it into this uh, monthly report that she put out. So it was data that it wasn't that exciting, to be honest, but it was exciting to me at the time. I was 20, and I was able to contribute, and I thought, in a meaningful way, in a small way, to something that she was putting out. Um, Another example, I think, that gets at this, when I was an intern at Cato, um, on a weekend, I decided to go to a Tea Party rally and take pictures of all the signs. I don't really know why. <laughs> I don't really remember exactly what led me to do this, but I think part of it was that there was this debate going on about what the Tea Party signs were saying. So I thought, why don't I go to the rally, take a picture of every sign, and quantify what they say? So I did that. Um, and I wrote up the results, but I didn't know what to do with them. 
So since I had met several people here at Cato, um, I mentioned David Bowes earlier, who's the executive vice president. I emailed him with the results of the study. He said, this is really interesting. You should send it to the Washington Post, thinking, how do I do that? <laughs> I don't know anyone at the Washington Post. But as it turns out, I was at a happy hour and chatting with some people um, that worked at FreedomWorks. And I told them about this study. And they said, we have contacts at the Washington Post. Do you want us to send it for you? And they did. And it ended up being a feature story in the Washington Post and then went all over the news. Um, it wasn't that, to be honest, I don't think it was that exciting of a study. Um, but what I thought was interesting is that it wasn't what just what I was doing, but it was the other people along the way that helped make that possible. It was, it, was, it was the people that I met along the way that helped give me good advice, that helped me do more than I would have achieved just on my own. So that's why I think the benefit of networking can be so important, but it's also about making the most of your time here and trying to produce and achieve um, as much as you can while you're here. And so that's why I suggested this book. I don't know, are we talking about these books? I'll just talk about it now, which is uh, getting things done, um, trying to find ways to be productive and get a lot of work done, but do so in a productive way. So I know we're going to have Q&A afterwards, but I'll turn the time over to Shana. Thank you. So I'm going to do the same. I'm really short. I'm not sure I'm even going to be able to see over this. <laughs> So I'm Shoshana. I work at the Weekly Standard. I manage our social media, and I write there. Um, until recently, I actually hadn't really done anything in publications besides just writing on the side. And it, it's been an odd path for me to get where I am. But, um, but not very long ago, I was in your seats, usually nerding, nerding out over scholars who are here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're the best. So I, I love being in those seats. And this is one of my favorite rooms for that reason. Um, but I started in politics about 10 years ago when I was 14. And, um, and I just, I was always a nerd. I loved politics and I started volunteering. It was mostly campaigns, political organizations. Um, I went to college at George Washington University and my first semester there I interned at the National Republican Senatorial Committee and had a lot of fun there. It was just research, but a lot of those skills I learned there I'm still using now. And I think that's true of basically every internship I've had, every job I've had. It gives you a really unique perspective. And because I've worked in social media, I've worked in digital research, comms, everything except finance, I, it's, it's interesting how it's kind of come together and worked out for me. Um, my last job was at America Rising Pack doing social media and digital there. And since I knew a little bit about research, and it's an Oppo research organization, I, it was an easier way to get in. So one thing I would say is that if you have an opportunity to test out different things, if you're not finding that one thing that you really love doing, just try it. There's no harm in it, but, um, but try to find what you like. Um, I, think, I think a lot of you might feel the same way I did. Um, a couple of years ago. I wanted to come here to eventually become a senator. So my Twitter handle is Senator Shoshana. Um, and I, it kind of stuck, so I just keep it, and some people call me senator. Um, but um, it, it's, it's interesting, because I thought I was going to get really involved in policy, um, go that route, and then eventually one day become a senator. And early on, I realized I really, really liked campaigns, and I loved politics, and I, I enjoyed policy, but that wasn't the, the heart and soul of what I enjoyed doing. So that was one big step for me, learning that. 
Um, I learned I loved campaigns, and I liked field work at first, but I didn't really love going door to door every day all the time, so I kind of ruled that out. Um, I like communications, but even though I report now, I didn't love talking to reporters. So I, I kind of learned that I wanted to do something that had to do with communications, but not dealing with people who would ask me tough questions all the time. So, um, so that kind of got me into social media when I, man when I managed communications for a guy running for Congress in, um, in New York. Um, I did his communications, and back then that was before digital and um, communications really separated, and everyone thought they were the same thing. So I did his social media, I did his communications, and some other digital things. I did some graphics, and I'd been doing graphics since I was little, so I, I learned I really like doing that. And that's kind of went the point I got into social media. And I think all of you will have one point where, you, where you're doing a bunch of different things, and you've tried lots of stuff, and then you learn, wait, I really like this. I don't like the other stuff as much, but maybe you do want, you want it to be a part of what you're doing, or maybe you don't. Um, for me, I love, love, love the legal scholars here at Cato. Everything they say to me is just gold. So now I write a lot about legal stuff at the Weekly Standard when it comes up. Um, I love judicial engagement. Anyone who knows me will complain that I nerd too much over it. Um, so I write about it when relative issues come up, when the courts are talking about it, where we can insert judicial engagement. But for the most part, I just manage our social media, and I've learned a lot about it over the years. And I think all of you will have that experience where you find what you really love doing and want to go that path. As a part of that, I'd really, really recommend, um, if, if you find something you like, read up on it as a profession. Like, I read probably 30 digital publications once a month, go through, see all the updates, and, um, and it, it makes sure that I, I know everything that's going on. And I like all of it. I enjoy reading it, and I find it really fun to experiment, experiment with new strategies. Um, and if you're, if you're doing the same thing and you're finding you're really liking it, you might have found what you want to do. Um, I'd also say it's really, really great to meet people from all different organizations. I spent a lot of time in D.C. connecting people looking for interns and looking for employees with the people who were looking for jobs and internships. And it's worked out well because I know people from all different types of organizations, and it's fairly regular that someone will come up to me and talk to me about what they've been doing and say, and they'll say, you know, I love, I love the work I'm doing, but I'm not sure I want to do it in Congress anymore or for a campaign anymore. Um, sometimes if they're on a campaign, they want a more steady schedule, or if they're in Congress, they want more excitement, or they, want, they actually want a, a weirder schedule where they have a little bit more freedom. So, um, so then I talk to them about what I know from other friends who work in different organizations, and if I've worked at an organization that has more of what they're looking for, you know, what I can do to connect them. And since all of you are at different types of organizations, it would be worth talking to each other about the schedule if you like it. Um, you can learn a lot from each other, and, and growing up in, in politics and then doing it here, I learned a lot from other interns telling me about how they liked the work they were doing, what they were doing, what their bosses were doing. And, um, and networking is really important, and especially just with, with other people who are going through what you are, and, and you'll be able to learn a, a lot from each other that way. Um, one, and again, everything that's said here was really, really perfect. And I, I would say when it comes to, um, to social media, though, I've actually done a lot of networking on it. I spend way too much time on Twitter in general. But, um, but there's lots of times when I've been sitting in those seats live tweeting the scholars up here. Sometimes I'm the only one because, you know, that's me. But, um, but then afterwards, a scholar will come up to me and, I'll, and he'll say, oh, you know, I'm glad you like this, or what did you like about this, or what didn't you like? You'd be surprised how often they're just really thankful to have someone appreciate their work. 
Um, most scholars don't have a lot of people nerd out over them, so if you do, they'll usually notice you. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's a really good way to network with people, or even just if, if someone's article comes out and they have a really cool policy idea, tweet about it and tag them. And, and if you're, sometimes you might be one of fewer than you think, not because few people like what they're saying, but there, there's a lot of people on social media who read things and click on things, but they don't tweet themselves. So they'll appreciate seeing your face there, and sometimes you'll make that connection. Um, I know a lot of people through that, and other times I've met them at events and stayed in touch on Twitter. Um, also, through LinkedIn, I, I, I agree that reaching out blind isn't always the best way, but if you really want to talk to someone whose work you really admire, I think it's worth a shot a lot of times. Uh, um, anytime people have reached out to me blind and asked me about my career in social media or digital, I've, I've always responded, and I think most people would say the same. Um, it's always better if you get a chance to meet them in person or in a more personable way, but don't be afraid to reach out if, um, if, there's someone, if, if someone's work really appeals to you and you really want to learn more about it. Um, I think another thing is also um, when you're an intern, and I spent a lot of time doing this, always ask how you can help. If, if you notice that everyone around you is overwhelmed, don't be afraid to just ask them, you know, let me know if you need anything, I'm here. Um, those are words I, I still say a lot today to my coworkers and my bosses. Um, and it, it just makes work a happier place, and it makes people value you because they know that you're here to do good stuff. Um, one other caution I would say, though, is that when you do go on, on coffee meetings with people and you do have questions to ask them, make sure it's about their career, how they got where they are, um, about the work it entails, about their path. Um, all, any question related to that is a great question. Um, I've had a, a handful of people sometimes um, ask for meetings with me when I used to be on TV on, on a smaller conservative station, and, um, and they're like, you're on TV. How did you do that? And I'm like, well, you know, I worked, and then people liked what I was saying, and I got there, but they, they wanted to be on TV. They wanted to be famous, um, and that's not always the best question because um, if you spend all your time worrying about getting famous and getting noticed by everyone instead of the people Whose, whose, work, whose work could relate to yours, which is a different story. But if you just want to be famous for its own sake, you're going to spend a lot of time doing things you don't like in order to one day possibly become famous-ish, maybe. Um, some people do become famous, and it works out great for them. But fame for its own sake isn't something that, um, that, that, it's a lot of, it's that you can really do through this work. Um, but a lot of times, people do amazing work, and it gets noticed, like college friends um, they were still interns when I was working, and now they're journalists and doing really amazing work and getting noticed for that work. Um, other people have done amazing policy and are published at Cato and, um, and Heritage and other places, and it's because they enjoyed their work and they loved what they did. And it's really true. If you do love what you're doing, you're not going to be doing a lot of work here because you're going to have a lot of fun doing it. And a lot of times that does lead to you getting noticed through stuff. So, um, so that's just one thing I'd add there. Um, also, um, the, it, for, for me in particular, um, and I think it works this way in a lot more technical fields like digital or even finance where it's a lot of um, specific methodology to, to the profession that might not apply elsewhere. Don't be afraid to ask your, you know, someone you, for in my case, someone you admire in digital um, about the way they see the profession. Um, everyone will have a different answer. Um, and there's always lots of debates going on about the philosophies behind digital and the best approaches. Um, same for finance. It's a little less outspoken there because um, digital people are on social media. Finance people aren't necessarily. 
But, um, but I think they'll always have an interesting answer and give you that really interesting perspective. Um, also, you know, just always talk to your bosses about how they got where they are. And anyone who, you know, who's in a spot that you could one day see yourself, just talk to them and ask them how they got where they are. And, um, and again, just don't be afraid to reach out to anyone. Everyone's really nice. Um, I've never ha I don't think I've ever had someone come up to me who I'm like, why did you come up and talk to me? Like, ever. Um, so, so everyone's doing really good. <laughs> but um, but a, a lot of what also helped me is just people who led digital firms. I, I've, I've gotten to know many of them. And I, I love seeing their different philosophies on what they do. And I think that holds true for most professions. So, you know, talk to them and see, see what they're doing if you like it. And it, again, if, if you realize that the path you're on, whether it's in policy, whether it's communications or, or something else, isn't exactly where you want to be, don't be afraid to move on to something else because the experience you've gained in policy and politics will always translate really nicely. Um, it's a very fluid career that, that way. Um, I have friends who've worked at, at think tanks who go to work for congressmen doing policy, um, legal scholars who go to work for congressmen or who go to work for campaigns. It's really great because if you choose, um, if you choose one thing, you can really, or anything, you can actually do it pretty much at any organization. And I think the, the, the biggest thing is to find out what you like doing and then figure out where. So if you have an internship at, you know, in a congressman's office and you're doing research there and you really like research but you're not sure you want to work in Congress, you can try it at a think tank, you can try it at a, politi at a political organization. Um, there's almost always openings. It, it always frustrates me to see people who have a hard time finding a job because there's tons and tons of openings. Um, and on that note, if one thing that I've, I found really helps people um, that not everyone thinks of is just if you, if you want an internship and you have an idea of what kind of organization you want it at, just Google organizations that are similar to it. Ask your friends. Like, if you like Cato, you might also like Institute for Justice. Um, and if you like Americans for Tax Reform, you know, you might also like AEI. Um, if you like one congressman, you might also like another. So just kind of research them. Make a list of, of your top favorite places. Um, I'd say around 10, and then maybe a bigger list of even up to 30. Um, apply to the, your top maybe five or reach out to people there. Um, it's uh, most of the times on the website they'll have job listings and if they don't you can just email them and they'll usually get back to you pretty fast. I know it's daunting when you're when you're trying to figure out okay I know what I want to do but I'm not sure where I can apply or how to do it. Honestly the internet's a really good friend. It's how I got my first internship here at the NRSC. I literally googled Republican internship DC and it came right up um, and I'm like that looks cool I want to be a senator one day and um, and this is that so, so I applied there and, and started there, but I realized that I didn't want to be doing research, even though it, it was a good experience. So then I moved on, and that's when I started doing more comms and into social media. So, um, so it's a lot of trial and error and a lot of research, but if you do that research and if you just work hard at your job um, and, and your internship, don't be surprised if people want to hire you. Um, at the NRSC, I think it was the intern before me got hired on, um, at America Rising, like half our interns ended up getting hired um, because they all worked really hard. They, they enjoyed what they did. They were really nice and they just wanted to do a good job and everyone there appreciated that. Um, I interned for a consulting firm and they ended up hiring me on as political director. 
And, um, and it, it just went really fast like that. So if you work hard and you, know, you, you try to learn more about your profession and you want to grow, it'll be really easy for you. But being here is a really great start and all the organizations involved do really great things. And, um, and I, I think it'll be an, an exciting time for you guys here. Thanks. Sorry for uh, dissolving into a coughing fit on stage, but I guess if our presidential candidates can get away with it, <clears throat> cut me some slack. Uh, so we'll go into Q&A now. Uh, a few housekeeping notes before we do that. Uh, <clears throat> wait for the microphone to get to you before you start speaking. Uh, a couple of my interns will be bringing microphones around. Uh, <clears throat> please phrase your question in the form of a question and keep them short. Um, this is not the time for statements. And also, if you uh, would like to say anything about this event on social media, the hashtag is CatoEvents. And we have our own Snapchat filter if you want to snap any photos from the event or the reception afterward. Uh, one more note, uh, each of our panelists brought a book that they felt was uh, influential or very important to them uh, as they've grown professionally. So panelists, if you hear a question that you think is pertinent to the content of your book, or the, <clears throat> a question that your book might help answer, uh, feel free to give that book away to whoever asked the question. Um, you'll just meet up with the panelists afterward to claim it. Uh, <clears throat> so with that, uh, questions by show of hands. Who has a question? You can start by stating your name and what organization you're from. Hello, my name is Hannah Wardell, and I'm at the American Enterprise Institute. Um, and I was just wondering if you could all speak to um, the level of personalness, I guess you could say, you can have in informational interviews and conversations with your colleagues. I find a lot of times I want to end up quest asking questions like, well, how does that, like, how do you handle being in that situation all the time and things like that? Um, and so what level of personal com question is professional? And is there a point where that stops? I'd just like to know what you guys thought. For questions addressed to the whole panel, we'll just go straight cool. down like we did. Um, I think with that, it's it's just really important to, to recognize that you're reading your audience. So um, it's important to know kind of where that person is coming from um, so that you're, there, there's not a fine line, which I know is like kind of the worst answer ever, so sorry, but there's not a specific line. I would say um, kind of take their lead on it. If they start mentioning things kind of just about their person, um, about their, their life, or kind of about those more personal details, definitely. Um, one of the... Um, one of the, I'm fairly tall, so one of the best questions that, that somebody asked me on an informational interview was, can you help me out? Like, where should I be shopping? Because I'm just finding that all of my dresses are really short. And it was a great question because she was asking it from a standpoint of, I, I recognize that my dresses are too short. Please help me. And it, it was more that, that she wasn't prying. She wasn't being weird about the question. It was a pretty personal question because we, you don't typically talk about somebody's appearance in a, in a, in a professional setting. Um, but it was a good question because it's a very honest question. Um, so I would say if, 
if maybe you're finding, um, I'm just feeling very overwhelmed. Could you tell me about a time when you were just in way over your head? And, and what were some of the tips that you might give to me to handle that situation better? Those are all personal questions and it might, it might get to something that's fairly personal for them, but they're going to take the question and run with it. So even starting it with, this might be kind of a weird question, but I'm really curious is a really good way to represent yourself as, as a humble audience member of, of the conversation. And then that person will honestly take their answer wherever they, they want to go. Um, I'm a little bit, I guess it depends on the context. I don't really know exactly what kind of context that you have in mind, but I would, I kind of err on the side of being more professional and not oversharing. Um, the one um, maybe exception to that would be if it's someone that's your peer that you've worked with for a while, people appreciate vulnerability and that genuineness. But if it's an informational interview, like a coffee chat, I would, I would avoid anything too personal. And then maybe with your mentor, like whoever you're working for, whoever your supervisor is, they can be become a kind of mentor. And there, I think you can take it kind of a step beyond like a the coffee chat level, obviously, and ask them um, ask them deeper questions. But even then, I, I tend to err on the side of being um, very professional. Yeah, I'd agree. In an informational interview, usually I err on the side of being a little more careful. But if it's someone you know a little bit better, um, you can you can test the waters a little bit. Like you know, ask you know, um, what about vacation time? How does that work for you at this organization or something like that? And um, and I think it's fine for for me personally, and I think for most people, we're um, we're fine to talk about pretty much anything. Um, and I I don't think there's ever been a time when um, you know, when I ask a, a relatively personal question where anyone was less than nice about it. Um, so I, I think I, I remember the anxiety that used to come with a lot of this, like double checking everything, almost like, you know, um, like, oh, should I text him first? Will he text me first? The same kind of thing that goes on with dating. I think it kind of applies to networking sometimes too. But in both cases, you're, um, a lot of people end up being overly anxious and it's, it's totally fine. So as long as you're being reasonable, I, I think it's fine. And with people you know better, you know, you have a little more room. Uh, back corner. Um, thank you so much. I, I think it's amazing that um, all three of you are incredibly successful and all women have been invited. Um, I've, I don't see too many all-female panels. So my question to you would be, do you think that in Washington the playing field is level between guys and girls? And all three of you seem incredibly successful. And so what advice would you give to me or to any of us to pass along to our female friends who are not here about how to be just ravingly successful in their careers here in DC. Well, that leads me to you getting my book. Um, <laughs> my book um, that I brought, has, this is not my book by any means. This is the book I brought today. Um, it is called Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Has anybody read it in the audience? Okay, see a couple of hands, good. Um, well, I would highly recommend it to anybody, um, male or female. It is a fabulous book, and um, the title of it, Lean In, kind of gets to the whole idea of um, 
women should be just as confident and just as comfortable to be at the conference table um, giving opinions and um, challenging the status quo and getting involved in the office as anybody else should. So um, I kind of always go into it with the mentality that there is an even playing field, and I don't um, by any means look at the the male or female um, differences as being something that's going to lead in, in my professional uh, professional capacity. So for me, I would say that that I haven't run into uh, run into problems with that um, ever. I definitely know that it is prevalent um, in some uh, some offices, and, and certainly it's it's prevalent everywhere that this is a conversation that we're having. But I'm excited that we are having the conversation and that we're at the point where um, women are starting to have that leadership and they're starting to represent um, themselves in all sorts of careers. So I am going to give you my book that I brought at the end of this. And I also recommend it for any of you guys because it is just a fabulous, fabulous book. Um, A very thoughtful question to ask. So I personally like, like, um, Casey, Mm -hmm. sorry. Um, What you said, I haven't felt that. But I know that other people have, and so I don't discount that. I know that other people have. I usually don't view it that way. And even when it maybe was that way, I didn't view it that way. And I think that that's to my benefit. Um, This is actually a conversation that I was having with another female colleague today. Um, There's actually, to be a little bit nerdy here, um, there's actually an academic literature that that looks at... um, the extent to which an individual attributes events in their lives to the things that they can control versus the things that they can't control, external forces. Um, and what you're talking about is what's the extent to which women feel like things are beyond their control, um, like external forces are affecting their ability to achieve and succeed in the workplace. Um, and the literature is pretty clear that individuals who focus on the things that they can control, that they view the events in their lives as things that are within their control, even when they aren't, are more successful. They're healthier. They tend to um, score higher on happiness surveys. They're more likely to change jobs when they're unhappy in their existing one. And they tend to do better in school and make more money. And so I think the lesson is, is that there are problems that we should correct. But at the individual level, excessively focusing on those is very unhelpful. And trying to just focus on the things that you can control is probably the best recipe for success. You know, it's it's really funny because I think I have a unique case in this way where my dad never told me when I was little that there was anything different between men and women, that he, he always told me if I wanted to do something, I could go out and do it. And I had a very encouraging father, which I think made a really big difference in my life. And I think I never, in, in politics or in, in any part of my career, I never expected to see any any form of the least bit of sexism. And um, and I have friends who've experienced it. Um, I think I've seen it in, in smaller ways. But w- one thing that I would say is that if you ever feel that at a, at a job they're, they're being the least bit racist or sexist or any of that, that, that organization probably isn't going to do very well um, for a couple of reasons because the, the ideas that, that the ideas that promote any form of racism or sexism deal with um, a lot of arbitrariness because in order to to assume that someone is um, is lesser or or greater because of the color of his skin or the person's gender, 
Um, I mean, obviously it's silly, but it's also, it's arbitrary. It applies arbitrary qualities. And they're not just going to do that in that area. It's going to be lots of other areas. Maybe they won't um, update their technologies like they should. Um, maybe when there's something new coming out, they'll say no to it because it's new, or maybe they'll, they'll just be in the habit of something that's kind of silly. Um, any, any organization that any friends worked for um, that's had that problem, um, it, it was always in more than one way. So it's not going to be a place you'd want to stay anyway, which is one thing that, that kind of works out really nice. Um, and I, I also think that... Um, I, I, it's interesting. I didn't even notice we were all women t until we were up here, um, until you mentioned. It's funny. Um, but I, I think I, oh, I think over time it has gotten a lot better. Um, and and it, it's really nice to see. And you really, I don't think you'll see much of it ever at all. Um, but of course, you always hear stories and stuff. And, and the I guess, I guess, you know, before you get in politics, the way it's portrayed on TV is that, you know, um, there's always the the guy who's like messing around and all the women in the office feel uncomfortable and and it's an unfortunate stereotype because I think in the overwhelming majority of places in DC it's it's not like that at all everyone's looked for just at their mind and it's it's really nice to see I would also add that that you're right it is pretty uncommon that there are three women on a panel so there we go uh, up here in the blue Hi, uh, Mackie. Um, I actually just graduated uh, with my master's uh, from Chapel Hill. I don't actually have an internship at any place in DC. I just moved here. Um, but uh, my question has to do more with uh, maybe your, your guys' experiences, um, not necessarily uh, in more liberty-leaning institutions, but when you were perhaps in, uh, at UCLA or working in politics, um, how you dealt more with, like, offices that had much differing viewpoints on opinion policies, not, not like things like race or gender, but things that had more to do with um, what policies you're looking for and things you kind of believe in that are more on a liberty side of uh, the spectrum. Want to take that one? Oh, um, well, if I understand your question correctly, um, like, I think my experience in acad academia, which is overwhelmingly liberal, is to learn how to empathize with other people's perspectives. Um, when you are one of the few people that have a certain view, <laughs> uh, the only way you really kind of get it to work is to really to, to understand where other people are coming from. And I actually think that that's a really useful skill. And I was I'm really grateful for that for that opportunity. I think it's actually really unfortunate if we become too sheltered in a particular bubble. And even at think tanks that are ideologically kind of committed to a certain set of principles to get out and try to make sure that you're engaging with other people with different views that can challenge your views. I think it, I think it actually helps both parties um, strengthen their ideas and their arguments and actually kind of move towards truth. <laughs> so I actually think that those experiences working in an area where I was the only one with my particular set of views was a really, um, not necessarily pleasant at all times, but a really useful experience for that reason of learning how to really empathize with other people's views. And the most important thing I think is to learn that people disagree for perfectly valid reasons. People who disagree are not doing so because they're bad people. They're doing so because they just 
think differently about the world. They maybe just think about fairness differently. And that's something I would really like to suggest to my academic peers to really take that to heart, that people can disagree for good reasons. But even in this town, there's a lot of political polarization. I've noticed that people kind of have to pick a side. And once you've picked a side, there's no going back. And there's a lot of demonization. And I think that's really unfortunate. And so being able to understand where other people are coming from, I think, is really useful. I'd also like to add, I'm one of the few the proud, the libertarians who work for the Weekly Standard. There's a, a, a handful of us. There's not many. Um, but it's, it's actually been a really good experience for me because I disagree with a lot of my colleagues on issues. But you'll regularly see content in our pages that conflict. And everyone, everyone pokes fun at each other, like Bill Crystal walks by my office sometimes and makes fun of me, which I, you get used to working there. But, um, but everyone has a really good, um, you, everyone's very down to earth about it. Um, I don't think there's ever been any malice over disagreement on policy issues or politics. Um, I think it's a little different at think tanks sometimes because the, their goal is to espouse very specific views sometimes and, and to build upon those. But um, but even then, I, I had a very libertarian friend who worked at the Heritage Foundation, and it actually worked really nicely for him because he learned how to how to make his views appeal to more conservative people as opposed to libertarian people. And you'll learn. I think I think um, the polarization point is really important to not just. It's it's interesting how far it goes, but um, sometimes people turn people off by saying, "Oh, so I'm libertarian, so I believe this," and and in a way where it makes you think that only libertarians or only conservatives can believe something. So when you're around people who disagree with you, you actually have a chance to to build upon that common ground, and it happens a lot more often than you'd think. Um, in D.C., you'll probably notice a lot in criminal justice reform, um, any issue there like civil asset forfeiture, on on a lot of other issues too. People from all different sides are coming together and and having this epiphany where it's like, wait, we agree on something. Um, so I think it's actually a really great opportunity to work somewhere where there's lots of people who disagree with you on something. Can I just add the small thing? Yeah. I'm sorry, I just want to add one more thing to dovetail to your point. Um, I don't always tell people if I disagree. I think that's something we all know, but sometimes we can get a little bit excited and passionate about the policies. And I think that learning that discipline is really, really useful particularly in a, in a town where it's all about coalitions and building coalitions. And whoever can build the best coalition wins. And the way to do that is to not always point out every single time there's a disagreement, mm -hmm. but to really try to emphasize those commonalities. I think, too, if you work at an organization that isn't at all political, um, it's important to recognize, like, what is the common factor that brings everybody in the door? And, and I know I always want to work for an organization or a company that there is a reason beyond just the paycheck that everybody is there. So I will always, for the rest of my life, seek opportunities that have that. And it might not always be liberty as the combining factor, but I want that out of a job because to me that's really exciting. So it, I think it's important if you're looking to a totally different line of work to find that common factor and recognize that so many different people can come around that. Uh, let's go, let's go in the back in the middle. You. No, one row back. <laughs> I'm Daniel Patrick, well, currently interning with the Leadership Institute. My question is just in networking, like, I'm, my internship's only for, like, three months, and I don't want to be gung-ho with trying to network and make connections, but at the same time, I don't want three months to pass by 
and for me not to have a good pool of, of people, you know, those three or four business cards at the end of the day. So like at what time frame do you start, you know, obviously it's going to be different with different people, but like at what point do you start to maybe ask for um, those those connections and networking and and those, those I hope that makes sense. Yeah. yeah now today <laughs> is the answer. So you're here. Awesome. Um, didn't your guys' internship kick off like one or two weeks ago? A week ago? Yeah. So immediately. So you should be reaching out to colleagues, reaching out to certainly your supervisor, and you should be having those conversations immediately to start to build that relationship. But reach out to colleagues, reach out to people that you meet, reach out to the people in this room to grab lunch and continue the conversation. So I would say that there's, it's not to say that you need to wait until you have interning experience to bring to the table. Start immediately, network often, um, but also that means like, maybe you give yourself a goal. Maybe you say, I'm going to find one event a week to go to. Maybe that seems like a little bit too much for you and you're, you kind of have some other things on your plate. So you're going to say, great, I'm going to do two or three events a month. And when you check those two or three events off, that I, I would say that this is a really good tactic for people who do not find any joy out of going to talk to people they don't know. Find one, find two, cross it off your list and say, great, I did it. I am done for this month. And then if an awesome event comes across your desk, maybe you'll go to it. But I would say that start now, start today, start talking to people, but then get, maybe give yourself a goal at the end of each week or something. How many people did you meet? Um, how many people did you keep in touch with? How many events did you attend? Because if anything, it's just a really great time to, to go to these things and hear from these people. And your supervisors are going to be expecting you to want to be out of the office a bit to go to things like that. So lunches, uh, afternoon events, Cato, oh my gosh, pay attention to the Cato calendar. They have events here all the time that you can come to. Um, and I would say, um, just, I would ask yourself, what are you passionate about? What do you really care about? Find the people who are working in that area that are doing the things that are moving the ball forward in that area, and then go find something, like go out and reach them. Maybe they're speaking at an event, go to that event and talk to them. Or if you don't see them speaking at something, um, uh, suggest a coffee chat and just say that you're very interested in a particular thing that they're doing. You'd like to learn more. And to Casey's point, people love to tell you about the things that they're working on. And the fact that you are passionate about it, it will come across as authentic. And they and it won't be viewed as just like you're just trying to make a connection for the sake of it, but that it's genuine. And I think people will respond positively. Agreed with all of that. I remember my first month in D.C. I, I went to a lot, a lot of events because I was still kind of narrowing down what I was most passionate about, so I wanted to check out everything. I did that for a while. It gets exhausting, and also there's this thing called, like, chilling and like having time and stuff, which is also fantastic. But if, if there if there are a lot of things you want to do, um, I'm a big proponent of multitasking. So you'll regularly see me at an event on my laptop doing work, but I really want to see something. So I go there. Um, but definitely lunch breaks. I love LI. They do lots of great stuff and there's great people there. Um, and it's also good because you have lots of people coming to you, which is really great. I'm actually teaching there next week on social media. Um, 
But and I'm sure a lot of you are at other organizations like AEI and Heritage, where um, there's also lots of events. If, if you think there's going to be lots of stuff you want to go to, just keep an eye on Cato's calendar on AEI's um, Heritage. They they kind of bring everyone together, but also the Federalist Society has some great stuff for fellow legal nerds. Um, there's also lots of smaller think tanks like Americans for Tax Reform and R Street, which have an event maybe every other month or so. So if you really like those organizations, keep an eye on it. But um, but you know, don't exhaust yourself going to them unless you want to, like I did. <laughs> but um, but just keep an eye on stuff and and see what's out there. And um, and it's again, it's, they're they're right. It's a really great way to meet people. Some of my favorite scholars, I got to see them at an event and just shake their hand and say how much I like their work. And it was and now a lot of those scholars and I are friends. I think we'll take just one more question uh, in the white jacket. Hold on, can you wait for the mic? Like in the movie Intern, can an older person like me apply for internships in the DC area? And yes, I have all kinds of college degrees. Uh, can I chime in on this one? Yeah, totally. So as the person who does the uh, hiring for interns here at the Cato Institute, I will say that the average age of our interns from the time when I interned here back in 2012 until now has increased quite a bit. And um, for those of you here who um, are not interning at any particular organization yet, uh, maybe you just got out of grad school or something like that, I would say a lot of people don't understand the extent to which an internship can be necessary to break into policy, even if you already have a graduate degree, even if you already have some kind of advanced education, still you will likely need an internship to get your foot in the door. Uh, so, you know, with that said, uh, the picture of an intern as, you know, someone spending the summer in D.C. As, as an undergrad, that's not altogether accurate. We have a lot of people who are considerably older than that stereotype who are interning out here because regardless of your age, that's how you uh, break into policy. And if you do have a graduate degree and this comes as bad news to you, I'm sorry, but uh, that's kind of the nature of the beast. Um, I would also um, add to that as well, that, that no matter who you are, it's understanding how to sell yourself and sell your narrative and your story. So um, if you are somebody with a lot of professional experience, the first question is going to be, why are you applying for an internship instead of a job? So understanding, maybe you're making a career pivot. And it makes perfect sense that, you, that you're looking to get your foot in the door and you don't really know how to do that and you have been doing something completely different and now you're looking to get in the, the nonprofit world or the think tank world or human resources or whatever it might be. An internship would really make sense there. But no matter who you are, you have to be able to tell someone that story. Because especially if you, if you send in a resume with a lot of experience, the first question is going to be like, are you going to be fulfilled in, as an intern? And if you don't have a lot of experience, that's where internships are, are really great. So that's where your cover letter should work for you, not against you. Um, the, the conversations you're having with people should work for you in that you should be telling them why are you looking for this experience. So that goes with saying no matter who you are, you should be able to, to sell your own narrative and tell others your story so that you can really indicate why are you looking to do this? What are your goals? What do you help to hope to accomplish at the end of this? And for you, it might be a career pivot, and this might be the next best step. So with that being said, there certainly would not be, not be a problem there to have a lot of professional experience to come into an internship. It really just is knowing how to, to tell that story. Anything else? 
Yeah, I, I just had, I know um, I, I've met a lot of people on, on all sides of politics and policy and, and politics itself who come in um, after having a graduate degree. And, and it's unfortunate because in school they don't tell you that, that in these fields you really need a lot of experience in order to, to get a job a lot of times. Um, but but you do, and that's why um, it, I was fortunate to go to school around here, so I could spend a lot of time interning in organizations um, and getting relevant experience. But it, I, I think that that matters more than age. And and if you if you have had a, a long career and, and a lot of degrees and are applying, I think it's it's especially important to mention that you just really want an internship so you can learn something and focus on that. Um, because I, I think, like they were saying, you know, people people looking over your application might feel that you won't that you wouldn't be fulfilled here because you've already um, learned so much. But if you if you show them what you're looking to learn and how they can be a part of that, I, I think that could change that. Yeah, just to reiterate that I've actually uh, called older and more experienced more experienced applicants, uh, called them to have a meeting with them just to say, hey, I would love to hire you as an intern. I just need to make sure that you won't feel underutilized here, that you understand what you're getting yourself into. Uh, but we would love to have you as an intern because you are bringing all this experience to the table. So that's absolutely correct. Uh, we are over time already. So if we didn't get to your question, I'm sorry. But uh, we'll be out at the reception afterwards. You can come and find us there. Uh, so thank you very much for coming and see you at the reception.